Hi, I'm Chris McBrien, a Gen Xer, and the pop culture from my generation is awesome. And I'm Yance Eaton, a millennial, and the pop culture from my generation is dope. Episode 34, Easter Eggs. That's right. We're back again for another show. Uh, it's Chris and Yancey here. we got a big show because we got one of our old friends joining us again this week. Yancey, should I just go ahead and bring our guest right in? I really don't see why we shouldn't do that, Why, Chris, why delay, that. right? Why, it's <laughs> our old friend Derek Byers, and everybody, you know him out there uh, on Twitter, at Amaron underscore DM. He's, of course, very well known in the D&D community, but uh, to us around here, he's just known as Caveman. Cave, Derek Byers, welcome back to the show, my friend. Thank you very much, Chris and Yancey, for having me back. I had such a good time the first time, and I was really excited when you guys said you would have me back yet again. So well, well, we had a wonder. Well, well, we had a wonderful conversation you and I the other day, and we, were, we got chit chatting, and then we were like, you know what, it would be really cool if we did an episode um, with Easter eggs. You know, Easter eggs you find in movies and TV shows and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, Derek, not only is that a great idea, bud, you got to come on and do it with us. So he said, oh, yes, of course. And so here he is. So that's what we're going to be covering. But before we get to that, a couple things, a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, Caveman, I did want to say congratulations. 14 years married to your lovely wife. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And, you know, people ask me, what's the secret to a successful marriage? Oh, please tell. And I know the answer. Let me tell you. It's two television sets exactly the same size in two different rooms. (laughs) (laughs) Because when we had two TVs and there was a big TV and a little TV, there was lots of fighting about who got the big TV. But when we had two TVs that were the same size, no more fighting. So for all of you people out there who are married or getting married, you want a peaceful, long-lasting relationship. If you like TV and you like pop culture and you watch movies at home, you need two TVs, same size, different rooms, so that when you want to watch different shows, there's no fighting, no arguing. That's the secret. There you go. Well, that's some good advice. Yancey, do you have any advice for us this week before we get started? I do have advice. I actually, I don't know if I mentioned this on the last show, but Mm -hmm. March 20th was my uh, six-year wedding anniversary. And I also have advice regarding TVs. And uh, this was something that was, I don't want to say it was like a hot like point of contention between my wife and I, but whenever we first uh, got married and we moved in together, I was like, well, we need a second TV. And she's like, why? I'm like, for the bedroom. And then she said something that always stuck with me. She's like, the bedroom is for two things, and TV isn't one of them. And ever since then, literally six years later, we have never had a TV in the room. And it is it is one of the best things I one of the best decisions she ever made just right off the bat. She 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 knew like from the start. So that's my advice for people who well, are, that's who some are good married. That's advice too. Uh, I wanted to share a little story with you guys. Can I share a little story of something that happened to me this week? So uh, whether you know this or not, I wear glasses. So I just got a new set of glasses Nerd. this week, and I, I know. So I decided to get. Um, I have I have like these little like ones that are. Kind of like frameless, you know, it's like the glass. And I decided, no, I want these like big, like black framed glasses. I don't know why. I've always wanted this, right? So I went out this week and I got them. Now, every day I go and I pick my sons up from school. So my sons are four and seven. So I, I go to the school and my four year old is in kindergarten. So he's in kind of like this penned in area. And then I go up there and every day it's so wonderful. He comes running out of the gate and say, Daddy, 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 runs all the way and he gives me a big hug. It's really nice. So on Monday, I get my new glasses and I go to pick him up and he comes running out, Daddy, 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 Daddy. And he stops right in front of me and he just looks at me and he goes, Daddy, you're beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh my goodness. It's just the funniest thing ever. A four-year-old. Thank you, son. I know. I was like, oh my goodness. I, I'm, I'm beautiful. So that's got that. And then, of course, my seven-year-old walks up and goes, uh, Daddy, you look like a nerd. 
And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I hate to break it to you, Daddy is a nerd, you know? So, uh, anyway. Uh, so this week we are going to talk about Easter eggs. I did mention that. Whether they're hidden in movies or TV shows or even in video games. Before we get get started, though, another tangent here I just thought of video games. And I mentioned that. I got to tell you guys, I've been dealing with something recently. And I'm not a huge video game guy. I kind of kind of mentioned that before. I've never been a huge video game guy. Um, but you know who's been obsessed with a video game lately? And that's my wife. So she plays this game on her iPad. It's called Slitherio or something like that. And I swear she's friggin' obsessed with it. She literally spends hours a day playing this stupid thing. It's like the dumbest game ever. From what I can gather, you basically move this snake around the screen and the snake continues to grow and grow. And I don't know. I don't understand. Here's the thing. She's got me. But instead, she chooses to spend all of her time playing with a giant snake. Oh, my, my, my. <laughs> Go figure. No comment. No comment. <laughs> well, anyway. Too easy. We've got Avatar, Titanic, T2. Terminator 2, Judgment Day. But here's the spin on it. Which I've never actually seen True Life. The best scene in the movie isn't CG because it's with uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. Toy Story 3 made me cry. That's the one with, uh, with Tom Cruise, right? Star Wars, The Force Awakens. Imagination is where the real power is. When it comes to movie magic... Uh, okay, so we're going to get started on this. we got lots. We're going to have 15 Easter eggs we're going to share with people tonight. Uh, so, Derek, you're our guest, so why don't you start? We'll start with you. We'll start at your number five, work our way up to number one. So, for number five, what's your number five Easter egg of all time? Whether it's TV, movies, you're a movie guy. You'll probably stick to movies a lot, I'm guessing, like I will. Hey, you are absolutely correct. I, I've I've decided to stick to movies for my five, but... No, now, before... Sorry. Simple, yeah, sorry. I before, simple, inter- yeah, I just want to mention one thing. So I guess we should maybe just lay some groundwork here. So we should establish the fact that an Easter egg, I'm sure everybody knows what it is, but I mean, it's basically, uh, the definition would be it's an inside joke or a hidden message that's found in a movie or an episode of a TV show. So we'll use that as kind of the parameter that we're going to work with. So, sorry, sorry to interrupt. So go ahead. I just want to get that out there. No, that's perfect. Okay, so um, my number five is Raiders of the Lost Ark, which, Chris, I know both you and I love this movie to death. Yes. And... The Easter egg that I want to specifically talk about here is Star Wars references, in this particular case, C-3PO. Nice. Uh, C-3PO and R2-D2 appear in Raiders of the Lost Ark, believe it or not. In the scene where Indiana Jones goes into the Well of Souls to recover the actual Ark of the Covenant, there are Egyptian hieroglyphics all over the place. And in a very distinct scene, you can see, if you know where to look, a picture of R2-D2 and C-3PO hidden in the hieroglyphics. Very cool. That's my number five. I like it. I remember before we came on, um, Derek says to me, he's like, okay, but the only thing is, I'll do this Easter eggs with you, but Raiders of the Lost Ark is mine. And I was like, oh, okay, well, John Landis, you're not allowed to touch, so we'll get into that. So, uh, Yancey, what's your number five? What do you got for us, my friend? Uh, number five for me is kind of stupid, and it's it's more than – it's it's the same Easter egg that's used. In, is it Slytherio uh, almost- stupid, though? That's the question. No, it's not. Honestly, Chris, that game, I haven't played the exact one that you're talking about, whatever she's playing on the iPad, but that version of the game has been done and redone literally dozens of times on a ton of different platforms. It is really, really addictive. I know exactly what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, But no, I'm I'm talking about number five for me is, uh, like I said, it has over 360 credits that we know of. It's actually a real inside joke between um, audio engineers and stuff on movie credits and and, and kids' movies and TV shows and, and anything you can possibly think of. It's been in songs and everything. And that's the Wilhelm scream. I think it's like the original gangster of Easter eggs. Um, It started out as, I can't remember the name of the movie. It's been, you know, it was 50, 60, 70 years ago, but it's this really corny over the top scream. I don't know if you could, if you could stick it in here, Chris, I I doubt it, but um, 
it's been in almost every single movie you can possibly think of. It was in all the Star Trek, or I'm sorry, all the Star Wars movies. It's in Planet of the Apes, in Spider-Man, in almost every single Disney movie. Um, it was in Lord of the Rings. It was in, let me look down the list real quick. It was in Taxi. It was in Sin City. Uh, it was in, let me see some more, Monster's House, and all the Transformers movies. Basically, this is like a running joke where these, uh, whoever mixes these or, or, or edits the films or does post-production, they're always trying to fit in this god-awful Wilhelm scream. And they try to do it in such a subtle way that it basically like slips through the cracks and you know, it, it doesn't get caught before it's basically too late. And, you know, the movie's in theaters or it's printed on DVD, that type of thing. It's been around literally for decades. Like I said, the original gangster of Easter eggs, and that's my number five. It's kind of stupid, but I just like the fact that people were trolls even like way back in the day. <laughs> Very cool. I like it. Okay. Uh, my number five, one of my favorite movies from the 80s is The Breakfast Club. And I think I mentioned that on a couple previous podcasts too, but I did want to mention three quick Easter eggs that are in that movie. So at the very beginning of the movie, when the parents are dropping off the kids. So Derek, you've obviously seen this movie. Yance, you've seen Breakfast Club? Yes, no? No, I have not. Are you f- kidding me? Oh, Yance. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, okay. So anyway, at the beginning of the movie, the, the, these, these kids, Yancey, it's a Saturday and these kids are in detention in high school. So at the beginning, uh, the parents are dropping off all the kids one by one. And the mom and the sister that drop off Anthony Michael Hall are actually his real life mother and sister. That's kind of a little interesting thing. And the other one I want to mention is he's he's kind of like the brain right in the movie. That's his thing. And the, the license plate on the car when they drop him off, when his parents drop him off or his uh, mother and sister drop him off, the license plate is EMC2. So I thought that was kind of an interesting one. And then my favorite one, though, is at the very beginning of the movie when the camera's uh, panning along the halls and it shows, you know, all different parts of the school. And then it shows the school's trophy case. And then it shows a yearbook. And there's a picture of a student. And beside the picture, it says, most likely to succeed. And the guy in the picture is a younger picture of Carl the janitor. John Capelos. He's Canadian, by the way, caveman from London, Ontario. But uh, I need that. A couple of Easter eggs there. I just really wanted to share. So that's my number five. Uh, number four, Derek, what do you got? All right. Number four, I'm going to go with something a little bit newer, Toy Story, the original Toy Story. In Early in the movie, the uh, toys are having a, uh, a team meeting. Uh, Andy calls them, or uh, Woody calls them all together, and he's got the microphone. He's giving them all, you know, Plastic Corrosion Awareness Night was a great success uh, just before Andy's having his birthday. Uh, during that scene, he is standing in front of a bookshelf, and the names of the books are all names of other Pixar short films. So, for example, there's Tin Toy by Lasseter. Lasseter is the name of the director uh, of Toy Story and of Tin Toy, uh, as well as one called Knick Knack and one called Red's Dream. Again, a little wink-wink from the good people at Pixar when they were making Toy Story. And since Toy Story was obviously such a huge success and Pixar has gone on to do many great films uh there are a lot of running gags and easter eggs that they have planted in their movies deliberately for people like us who love movies who want to get a little bit more out of it on a repeat viewing and uh if you if you go on the internet and you look up pixar easter eggs you're going to find dozens if not hundreds of things to look for so that's the one i wanted to call attention to the original toy story look at the books behind woody when he's doing his little speech at the beginning of the movie very cool like it okay yancy number four what do you got um, number four, as a plane flies overhead, is going to be another stupid one for me. Um, I've mentioned in past episodes that my favorite game as a kid, more as like a teenager, was the Halo series, especially Halo 2 and Halo 3. Um, in Halo 3, 
uh, Bungie was the original kind of developers of the game that eventually it went over to a different studio. But Bungie were like the original gangsters when it came to... I'm using that term a lot, original gangsters tonight. I don't know what's up with me. <laughs> um, but uh, they were... they have always been super into uh, implanting Easter eggs throughout all of their video games. And I know most of the time whenever people hear Easter eggs, they think of movies and TV shows. But for me, like as a kid and as a teenager, Easter eggs was the first thing everybody was trying to find whenever you first got a video game, especially something as large a franchise as Halo was. Um, you know, instantly before you would even, you know, go online and, and do multiplayer, you were looking for Easter eggs. And my favorite one that stuck out of this game, like I said, Halo 3, I, I played it more than any thing else you know through my formidable teenage years was in in the campaign mode uh so you're going through it and there's a level it's called sierra 117 if you go just off the beaten path a little bit you're in the forest and you're fighting and shooting aliens and you have a battle rifle and, and whatnot but if you go just off a little bit into like a, a little corner you have to go behind some caves and stuff you will find what is a family of monkeys only the monkeys all have the faces of humans and they're holding a baby, but the baby is a teddy bear. Nobody's ever really figured out what exactly the Easter egg is supposed to be, but it basically broke the freaking internet whenever I was a kid, and like everybody was so obsessed with finding this thing. Even to this day, Bungie has never really given us an explanation as to why that's in the game, but that was kind of the catalyst for me that every time I play a game now, I'm, I'm now hooked on finding what that next Easter egg is. So, like I said, kind of stupid, but Halo 3's uh, Family of Monkeys is my number four. There you go. Okay. Um, I love Back to the Future. I mean, who, who the hell doesn't, right? Yancey, you've seen that. Please tell me. Uh, I seen part of the first one. Oh god, oh, dude. Oh man, it's just killing me. Okay, so anyway, um, uh, well, I'm sure everyone not named Yancey uh, listening to this podcast remembers the scene at the beginning of the movie when Marty McFly. Remember, he's on stage and his band is auditioning to play at the school prom. You remember that caveman, right? Oh, I love this scene. Right? I know exactly where you're going. This, I'm go- is good. I got this th- almost made my list. I know. I got three out of that scene that I want to share with people. Again, another another triple one here. So they start playing. They're auditioning to try and you know be picked to, to be the band to play at the prom. And then one of the judges makes them stop. And he says, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. You're just too loud. And of course, the three Easter eggs of the scene are number one. The guy, of course, everyone spotted this. The guy that tells them to stop that they're too loud is, of course, Huey Lewis. So that's kind of cool. And the second Easter egg is the song that they're playing on stage. So the song that they're jamming to is The Power of Love from Huey Lewis in the News, the version of that. And the third Easter egg in the scene, the thing a lot of people don't know is the backup band that's playing with Marty is actually the news from Huey Lewis in the News. So those are three Easter eggs I love from a movie that I love very much. So number three, Caveman, on to you. All right. This one's this one's an action-packed uh, uh, Easter eggs for you here in a, a hilarious movie. Okay, this is one of my uh, all-time favorite comedy movies we're talking about here, Galaxy Quest. If you're a big fan of the Star Trek franchises, as I am, Galaxy Quest is the ultimate parody slash homage to Star Trek. And if you've never seen it and you're a Star Trek fan, you've got to do yourself a favor and go see Galaxy Quest. The, the specific Easter egg I want to draw attention to is pertaining to their spaceship. Um, in Star Trek, the Enterprise has the famous number NC... Oh, man, am I going to get this wrong here? Uh, NC-1701? NC-1701. Yeah, okay. So nice, in Chris. this movie... Yeah, no problem. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, saved. Ooh. Nice save, Chris. Gotcha. Um, in Galaxy Quest, their ship is called the NTE-3120. NTE has been revealed to stand for not the Enterprise. And on top of that, the ship itself is essentially a uh, looks like an arrowhead surrounded by an oval-shaped ring, and that is an, a blatant 
call it ripoff of the communicator pin symbol that is used in the Star Trek The Next Generation series. So a couple of Easter eggs there about the ship in Galaxy Quest that I wanted to point out. Now, I want to sort of do a 3B, if we will. Um, on the DVD of Galaxy Quest, or I assume the Blu-ray as well, but I have the DVD, old school, um, as with many DVDs, you can get an audio commentary by the director, the producer, the actors, and, and they talk about the movie. Hopefully, you know, solid film fans know all about audio commentaries. I personally love them. With the Galaxy Quest audio commentary, there is a hidden audio commentary that is done in the alien language. It just sounds like them going, blah, 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 and it runs the full length of the movie. It's as annoying as hell, but it's hilarious. The first time you accidentally stumble across it, there's this other little Easter egg on the DVD, this hidden audio commentary. So Galaxy Quest is my number three. Oh, I like that. I saw the movie in theaters. I remember that. Uh, okay, number three, Yancey. What do you got? That may be the nerdiest thing I've ever heard. And the, and the, and the fact that I knew the 1701, it's just like my, my son said, you know, Daddy, you look like a nerd. I am a nerd. What can I say? Okay, yeah. Yancey. On Daddy, you. you're beautiful. Yeah. You're beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Uh, the next couple ones are going to all be some of my favorite movies that I've referenced before. So let's talk about Fight Club a little bit. So we know that in Fight Club, well, maybe not all of us know, but uh, Tyler Durden actually appears four different times in the movie before he's actually introduced as a character. So you'll see lots of flashes. It's just for a split second or he's in the background or like there's the one uh, where they show a commercial and like there's a bunch of dudes in white tuxedos. He's on the corner. Um, it's basically giving us like you know the preamble to the fact that you know he is going to start making an appearance and it's kind of letting you know you know if you really pay attention that there's something going on here that isn't exactly what it seems that's the first one the second one which is like a little bit more obscure you wouldn't know it unless you actually went in and and, and kind of like read this from you know the people who made the movie themselves but the font for both the title and the credits the official title for it is called fight this which i thought was really funny um and then uh there's another one where you know where marla she gives them uh, the phone number marla singer her phone number is five 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 zero one three four. this is actually the same number as teddy and memento that's the same number that he constantly uses over and over uh that's another interesting one but my very favorite thing about uh fight club and if you guys know this you can go ahead and like just jump in but do you know what one thing appears in every single shot of fight club i do you, Chris? I do. do you know? I, I, I only, uh, honestly, though, I only know it because in re researching this uh, podcast, Fight Club was was in my ten, and I narrowed it down to five, so I won't spoil it. Okay. Well, props to you for knowing what it is, and it's basically every single scene has a Starbucks cup in it, and <laughs> I mean, I, I've noticed before the Starbucks cups, but that's one of those things where you know, in the last decade, I've probably watched Fight Club maybe ten or twelve times, and it. I, I, for me personally, there's a couple scenes where I haven't seen it, but the the makers of the sh of the movie itself absolutely swear by the fact that in every single scene, whether it's all the way in the back or it's slightly obscured or you know like whenever there's a, a you know destruction and you know like the wall falls down, you'll see like a little Starbucks cup, which I just thought was really really funny. Um, Fight Club still there's all there's probably. 30 or 40 different little Easter eggs like this. There's too many to mention, but they really paid attention to detail with this. And if you watch it, like I said, every single time on a second, third, fourth, tenth viewing, you're going to pick up more stuff on Fight Club. Very cool. It, it was. It gave me a reason to go back and watch Fight Club for the 30 or 40th time. It was. A, it was an Easter egg I had not. I was not aware of until this week when I was doing the research. But to your point, now I'm going to go back and watch it again. Specifically, look for it. Yeah. 
Okay, there you go. Uh, so I mentioned at the top, uh, Caveman wanted to make sure that he could do Raiders of Lost Ark. I said, that's fine. Then I got John Landis, and I got a lot of John Landis taking me through my top three. Uh, okay, so John Landis, back when he was on top of his game, <clears throat> there was, like, no better director in Hollywood. He directed some of my favorite movies. And one of the things he did in almost every movie that he's ever directed, <clears throat> the name See You Next Wednesday comes up. So I don't know if it's a play on See You Next Tuesday. Uh, we won't get into that one. Uh, but uh, he says, I believe, I remember him saying in an interview one time that it came from a line of dialogue from 2001 A Space Odyssey. Um, but anyway, he gets it into almost everything he does. So in Trading Places, there's a poster on Ophelia's wall that says uh, See You Next Wednesday. In Coming to America, I remember there's a movie poster in the subway that says uh, See You Next Wednesday. In Blues Brothers, it was on a billboard. On Spies Like Us, it was an army recruitment poster. In American Werewolf in London, it was the porno movie that was playing in Piccadilly Circus. Um, he's also used it in Amazon Women on the Moon and Kentucky Fried Movie. And he even got it into the video for Michael Jackson's Thriller. So for me, that's one, it's a recurring Easter egg in every single one of his movies, or almost every one of his movies anyway. And that's John Landis with sort of his signature, See You Next Wednesday. So that's my number three. So number two, Derek. Nice. What do you got? All right. I, I found when I was making this list, comedies tended to have way more Easter eggs in them than any other genre that I was looking into. And as try as I might, I was trying to find a lot of movies that were not comedies to add to the list, and I ended up putting four to five comedies on the list. So anyway, my number two is yet another comedy. It's I'm going with Ted 2. And I, so now let me preface this by saying I like Seth MacFarlane's work a lot. I love the Family Guy cartoon, American Dad cartoon. I love Ted 1. I, I love Ted 2. I thought they were all great. Uh, I'm a big fan of his work. And both the movie Ted and Ted 2 have tons of Easter eggs in them. But the one that one of the ones that made me laugh the most and continues to do so upon repeat viewings in Ted 2, there's a scene toward the end of the movie where they go to the comic they go to Comic-Con. And in the movie uh, we've already established who a lot of the actors are, like who all, a lot of the characters are. And both Michael Dorn and Patrick Warburton are characters in the movie. And at this point, we go to Comic-Con, and they're doing cosplay. They're dressed up. Well, who are they dressed as? Michael Dorn is dressed as Worf, and Patrick Warburton is dressed as the Tick. And the joke there being that, obviously, Michael Dorn played Worf on Star Trek, and Patrick Warburton played the Tick in the short-lived 2001 TV series of the same name. Except in this case, they're wearing costumes that clearly don't fit them and look like they've been made at home. And the two of them are being angry and belligerent and calling everybody nerds and just like the total opposite of what you read about them being in real life. That is the the Easter egg that I want to call out in Ted 2 out of the 50 or 60, 60 Easter eggs in that movie. That's my number two. All right. Number two, Yancey. What do you got? Number two for me, no surprise. I'm going to talk about The Matrix for a second. Uh, so... The Matrix is all about basically living in a simulation, and we're all batteries, and our our you know artificial intelligence overlords are basically harvesting us for heat and power, and they've taken over. And you know after we scorch the sky, it's now machines that rule the world. So uh, if you guys, there's actually probably 200 different references in this, and it takes multiple viewings to catch all of them, and you have to do a lot of reading, you have to go on fan forums and, and Reddit and everything like that. But there's a lot into this movie, and I still haven't really fully grasped all of it, but. Um, let me just rattle off a couple very, very quickly. So there is a book. It's called Simulacra and Simulation. It was a book by Bodrilliters. I, I can't even say his full name, but Bodrilliters is his last name. And it was basically uh, his theory on the entire simulation theory, basically that we are 
uh, products of a coder, and we're all living in like a, a, a separate but not completely real world. So at the very beginning of the movie, whenever Neo is about to go to the uh, nightclub, he actually takes out a book, and it is that book, The Simulacra and Simulation. He opens it up, and inside of it he has a cutout with like you know some, some discs of illegal files and stuff. He then goes to the door, and he sees the girl with the white rabbit, obviously, which is uh, you know a reference to Alice in Wonderland, and then he follows that girl with the white rabbit tattoo. He follows her to the nightclub. That's one. There's tons of biblical references. Obviously, one of the main characters' names is Trinity. Uh, you know, I don't need to explain that. Trinity is obviously biblical. The the ship, uh, Morpheus's ship, that's the Nebuchadnezzar. Obviously, that was a biblical king. Tons and tons of biblical references for this. One of the coolest ones for me is um, as Neo is going to meet the Oracle for the very first time. You know, she knows all, she sees all, everything like that. Um, very, very faintly in the background, uh, Duke Ellington's song, I'm Beginning to See the Light, plays. You can just barely hear it, but it actually gets credited in the soundtrack as well. And I just thought that was, like, really, really cool. And there's just so many little, little things like that that it – like I said, with each viewing, you're going to pick up more and more. There's still things that I, I haven't even picked up on, but um, it's, I mean, it's wild, guys. It, it, it's an absolute trip to watch this movie, especially, like I said, if you've had a couple of drinks, and uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm probably going to do it this week on vacation, so that's my number two is The Matrix. Very cool. Okay, my number two, going back to John Landis again. Um, as I mentioned before, one of my favorite directors, and he directed some of my favorite movies of the 70s and 80s, and one of his best was Animal House back in 78. So you got to bear with me on this one. There's a little bit of a story here. So, uh, without getting into too much detail on Animal House, we'll save that for another time. But there's this character named Niedermeyer. Okay, and he's played by Mark Metcalf. And Yancey, actually, you might know Mark Metcalf better as the maestro from Seinfeld, Bob Cobb. But yes, yes okay. anyway, so he that, wants to be called Maestro. That's Call right. Me maestro. That's right. So that actor, Mark <laughs> Metcalf, he played Niedermeyer in Animal House. And he's basically this like total jerk, and he's got it in for Stephen First character, Kent Dorfman. So Niedermeyer's always yelling at him. And then when Twisted Sister came out uh, with their music videos in the 80s, they used both Metcalf and First in their videos, and they got them to reprise their roles and their characters for the videos. But anyway, um, for those of you that have seen it, Niedermeyer is the one. He always says things like, what's that? A pledge pin on your uniform. So he's got these famous lines in the movie. But anyway, he's a big jerk. And at the very end of the movie of Animal House, if you remember right before the closing credits, what they do is they put these little snippets of sort of what became of the characters in the movie. Like for Belushi's character, it says um, Senator and Mrs. John Blutarski moved to Washington, D.C., right? And for Niedermeyer's character, it says Lieutenant Niedermeyer killed in Vietnam by his own troops. Anyway, that's it. They just do this little blurb and that's it. Okay, so then in 1983, John Landis directed the infamous scene in Twilight Zone, the movie, when Vic Morrow played this racist who basically kind of finds himself placed into these situations where other people see him as the people that he hates. Okay, so he's running away from the KKK in one seat. They think he's black. And then he turns a corner and suddenly he's at a swamp in Vietnam. And there's American soldiers there that think he's a Viet Cong. So they try and shoot him. But anyway, just as the Vietnam scene opens up, there's these troop of American soldiers. and They're all kind of trudging along through the swamp. And one turns to the other guy and he says, oh, man, we shouldn't have killed Captain Niedermeyer back there. Basically a throwaway <laughs> line. Yeah, a little throwaway line, but total Easter egg. So a long story, but it basically links Animal House with Twilight Zone, the movie. So that's my number two. So on to your number one, Derek. What do you got? All right. My number one is from Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery, the first Austin Powers movie. Oh, nice. Uh, <laughs> nice. For the record, for the record, Mike Myers 
is in no way related to me, Derek Myers. Although, I, have, I have a funny feeling where you're going with this, but anyway, go ahead. Okay. Although when I was at university, mm-hmm. uh, I went to, out of town to university, so people there didn't know me, and you know, you introduce yourself, and they're like, "Oh, hey, are you related to Mike Myers? I hear he's from Scarborough as well." And I'm like, "No, no, no." But if the girl was pretty and she asked you, you go, well, yeah, he's my my cousin. And if that was the in you needed to, you know, strike yep. up a conversation, you go with it. But That's no, right. in all fact, uh, no, not related at all. So Austin Powers, international man of mystery. Mike Myers from Saturday Night Live, from the Austin Powers franchise, Shrek, et cetera, et cetera. He is also from my hometown of Toronto, from Scarborough. And he uh, is a huge hockey fan, a huge Toronto Maple Leafs fan. And when he was writing... Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery, he snuck in a little bit of hockey trivia uh, in the first movie and in the third movie. But we're only going to talk about the first one. Uh, in the beginning of Austin Powers, he's frozen in ice. They need him. They unthaw him. Uh, and uh, when he first unthaws, there is an American general and a Russian, I guess, general as well, standing there in full uniform. And they are introduced as um, General Gilmore and Borshevsky. And for Toronto Maple Leafs fans in the 90s, I hope that this is not a surprise, but Doug Gilmore, uh, the name of the American uh, general in the movie, uh, is after Doug Gilmore, uh, you know, all-star hockey player, huge Toronto Maple Leafs guy, uh, scored over 100 points in the 93 and the 94 season. And Borshevsky is based on Nick Borshevsky, who in the 93 season scored 74 points for the Leafs. These were like their number one and two all-time scorers in those in the seasons when the movie was being written. So a little wink-wink. From Mike Myers to all of the hockey fans out there, uh, he used the name of two of his favorite players Very representing cool. Toronto Maple Leafs in first Austin Powers. He also uh, had a few other Maple Leafs references in his other movies, but we'll talk about that another time. For sure. Yeah, no, I remember that because Borshevsky, of course, Nikolai Borshevsky, scored the goal against Detroit in the 93 playoffs and, and to get you know them through it. the first round. I remember that. Oh, God, that, that yep. was such a great time. But I think in the second Austin Powers movie, too, remember when he went on the Jerry Springer show as Dr. Evil? And then, and then it's really hard to know but at the bottom of the screen, at the bottom of the screen, there's like a like a remember how CNN came out with it back in the in the day. It's they still use it now with a little ticker along the bottom, a little running. And wh- I remember reading the ticker, and it says Toronto Maple Leafs win the Stanley Cup. And that was another one that was in there. But uh, that's a good one. Okay, Yancey, what's your number one? Uh, number one for me, I'm not sure if it's the one that I enjoy the most, but it's the most fresh in my mind, having just seen the movie. Um, so The Force Awakens, J.J. Abrams did a very intentional job of not just doing a lot of fan service by incorporating a lot of elements and different lines and characters from the past films, um, but he really added a lot of new stuff into in like really clever ways. Um, I just want to rattle off a couple of them very, very quickly. So Finn, one of the main characters, Finn, uh, his stormtrooper name is FN2187, which is the same cell block where Princess Leia was held in the Death Star. Um, there's a ton of uh, cameos, tons of cameos, but most of them are, are by people dressing up as stormtroopers, which is kind of funny because you can't tell who they are anyway. But uh, the composer and producers, the main pro- composer and producer for Radiohead, they were uh, they were uh, stormtroopers. Kevin Smith, uh, Daniel Craig, there were literally I, I think fifteen or twenty uncredited people, you know, actors and, and musicians and, and comedians and everything like that that got they got to dress up as stormtroopers. I don't really know if this is a actual Easter egg, but um, people don't. I don't know if people really caught this. That Alec Guinness is actually in the Force Awakens. He has that one line where they basically took an old line that he had said, uh, where he said "afraid," and they cut it out to make him say "Ray." I thought that was really, really clever. Mm-hmm. Carrie Fisher's real life daughter, Billy Lord, is in this. She's like a lieutenant in the Resistance. She doesn't have any lines or anything, but it does show her, and it's actually her. Um, but my most favorite 
<laughs> like the most esoteric. I don't know how anybody caught this, but there is a there's a resistance pilot. He's you know an alien creature. I'm not sure exactly what type of creature he is, but his name is Elo Asti, which is basically a <laughs> a reference to the Beastie Boys album Hello Nasty. And if you look on his suit. It actually says "Born to Ill" on it, which I just think is the coolest. <laughs> nice. Yes, yeah, it is awesome. so cool. It is so esoteric, and the fact that people can just really dig into this stuff, and I mean, they will comb frame by frame, and people just make you know, this is their obsession, this is their passion, this is their you know, for for me, it's baseball music. Like this is their thing is is going cut by cut by cut and picking up on these things. The Force Awakens as a whole, like I said, dozens and dozens of Easter eggs. Um, I mean, there were, there was even one part we know where they met the. Uh, you know, my friend doesn't like you. I don't like you in the cantina. You know, that guy even makes a, a cameo in The Force Awakens. It was just uh, a lot of it was lip service to the the fans of past generations and stuff. But uh, I just thought it was done so, so well. And there, I'm still finding stuff every single time I watch the movie, which is probably nine or ten times now. But that's my number one is The Force Awakens. I thought it was a really, really well done Easter egg uh, consortium. Very good. Yeah, that's good. Okay, so my number one, I'm, I'm sticking with John Landis here. So I got three John Landis ones at the top, but this Jesus. is a, this is a good this is a good <laughs> one though. So and it's it's a very obvious one I think for those of the people that that are in the know on this. So one of my favorite comedies from the '80s was Trading Places. It came out in 1983, directed by John Landis, of course, and. Um, just a little bit of description of the movie. So there's um, there's Mortimer and Randolph Duke, okay? And they're played by Ralph Bellamy and Don Amici. And what they do is they cook up this scheme. They're like, they're these two like super, super rich guys. And they're like, you know, they own this like, you know, investment firm with, you know, with stocks and all this kind of stuff. And they cook up this scheme about nature versus nurture. So what they do is they get Eddie Murphy, who's this poor guy, and they have Dan Aykroyd's character, who's like this rich guy, and they get them to switch places because they want to prove a point. And, you know, if they switch places, you know, if, if it's nature or nurture, will they, will they, you know, thrive in the, in the position or will, you know, will Dan Aykroyd turn to crime and all this kind of stuff. And they, they have a bet on this of $1. And they basically ruin both these guys' lives in order to win a bet over a dollar. So Aykroyd and Murphy in the movie, they get back at them by cornering the market. I think it was on like or- frozen concentrated orange juice, if I remember correctly. Yeah, orange juice. Yeah. You're absolutely right. So they corner the market on it and the Dukes are left penniless. So that's the basic story of Trading Places. The movie ends, the Dukes are broke, and then in 1988, John Landis directed a movie called Coming to America. And in that movie, you know, not to get too much into it, but there's, you know, uh, there's Semi, who's played by Arsenio Hall. And he's got all this play money in one scene. It's like a million dollars in this bag. And Akeem, who's played by um, Eddie Murphy, of course, he comes and takes away his play money because he's like mad at Semi because Semi's using it to buy like hot tubs and all this stuff. And Akeem wants to give people the impression that they're poor. So he takes this money away from him and he's very angry. And he goes out and so Akeem and Lisa McDowell are walking along the Hudson River, like with the Manhattan skyline in the background. And Akeem hands the paper bag of money to a homeless guy who's laying in a pile of garbage. And the homeless guy takes the money and starts looking, like takes the bag, opens it up and sees that it's money and a lot of money. And then you realize, hold it, hold the phone here. That's Don Amici. And he takes the bag and he, and he turns and he turns and he goes, Randolph, Randolph, look. And that homeless guy pops up. And of course it's Ralph Bellamy. And he says, Mortimer, we're back. And I just love that Easter egg, <laughs> the way that he ties two of my favorite comedies from the 80s together. So I just, I always thought that was one of my favorites. So I wanted to share that one. So that's our top five Easter eggs. I have a question for you, gentlemen, to wrap things up. Any idea, where, 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 do you have any thoughts or whatever of the origin of Easter eggs? Where do they come from? You know, the first ones, 
Mm. or like where the idea come from because what I was able to find was that apparently it started with video games and I guess in 1979 Atari made an adventure this is going way back Yancey you're going to think we're crazy but they made this game called Adventure and what happened was at the time Atari would not let programmers put their names in, into the credits of the game because they were worried that their competitors would come along and hire these people away, right? So they, they said, no, you can't put your names into the game. So this guy, Warren Robinette, came along and what he did was he hid his name in there. I guess if you hovered over a certain little spot in the game, it would pop up and say, um, this game is created by Warren Robinette. So anyway, the guy leaves the company, but then Atari finds out that this is in the game. And so they're like, okay, well, we got to cover this up. But it would have cost them so much money to cover it, they decide not to. They just leave it in there. And actually what they did was they thought it was so cool that they encouraged their developers to try to put these kind of little hidden messages into their games going forward for people to try and find. And I think that kind of started it. Like that's that's sort of the official, you know, origin of Easter eggs. But for me, mm-hmm. for me, I think it's a little bit different. So I'm going to go with this. Um, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Which, oh, by the way, Cave, we, you and I were at um, Fan Expo last year. Do you see who's coming this year? Tim Curry and the cast of Rocky Horror are going to be there, including uh, Bruce uh, Boxliner. And um, who else is going to be there? A meatloaf is going to be there, too. So it should be pretty cool. Nice. Um, nice. So, um, so uh, anyway, so, so that's going to be cool. So in that movie, I guess on one of, the, one of the days, they were, like, hiding Easter eggs around the set, actual Easter eggs, where they were hiding them on the set, and they were playing games of trying to find them. Because, you know, they're bored. Because, you know, when you're on a movie set, hurry up and wait. You know, you got to do all that stuff, right? So they were hiding these Easter eggs, and they were finding them. And then what happened was they didn't find them all, and they left some of them laying around, and they ended up in the movie. And so to me, that's always been like the place because like if you look, I mean, it's really hard to find. But if you're really into that movie and you go look, and I think the one one that I remember that everyone was talking about was under Frank. It was under a table. It was well, chair, it was right? under uh, it was under his throne. I think it was under Frankenfurter's throne. And then I think there was one in the light, and then one in the elevator when they go up to the lab. But so to me, that's been kind of the origin of Easter eggs. But I don't. You guys, Yancey, you have anything to add in terms, of, especially in terms of video games? It seems like that's where the origin really is. But I don't know. Um. I mean, not really. Like like I said, it has a different meaning for a lot of people. I don't think a lot of people watch movies or TV shows with the idea that they're looking for Easter eggs. I think it's like a really niche kind of subculture. And it's always like the super fan, somebody that's very, very into one particular thing that is looking for these. And, you know, most of the references are so obscure that the, you know, a vast swath of the population is never going to get them anyway. And I think that's kind of the fun in it. With video games, it's it's pretty intentional because, you, you know, you see it. You're looking for something that's not supposed to be in the game that's completely out of out of the, you know, the design and the flow of the game. You know, seeing like a family of monkeys with human faces, you know, in a futuristic, you know, alien fighting game makes no sense at all. But um, I, I don't really know the origin of it. I just always assumed, you know, like. You know, kids looking for Easter eggs on Easter is the same kind of thing. Obviously, that's 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 kind of what they're referring to. But I mean, if I had to guess the very first Easter egg or who came up with the idea to hide stuff like that in movies kind of as like a wink wink to uh, to the viewer. I'm not really sure. Uh, Derek, you're a movie wonk like me. Anything else to add to that? Um, yeah, a couple things. So um, Alfred Hitchcock is uh, is known for making a guest movie. cameo appearance in every one of his movies true and when i was doing a little bit of homework on easter eggs that was one of the ones that i found that seemed to go back the farthest which is not to say that 
they were calling it an Easter egg back then, but but essentially it's of, what it is. Yeah, it is what it is. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Um, that that's uh, that's certainly one of the uh, the quote original Easter eggs, if you will. But no, to your point, I think it means different things to different people depending on on their age and their context. So for me, when I when I hear Easter egg, I think of the DVDs because that was like when I worked at Blockbuster Video, we were buying DVDs a few every single week. You'd rent them, you'd bring them home, you'd buy them, and in many cases there were hidden features on the DVD that you couldn't find, like they weren't on the menu. You had to go to this page and go back and then click up and then select this in a certain order. Much like the like I think like Yancey's talking about with video games, it's like this became a whole thing in and of itself. Yeah, the movie was great and the special features were great, but there was some extra special feature that and this was like really before the internet. So you could just go on the internet and go, hey, where am I going to find the Easter eggs? Like this was a real thing where people had to hunt their, hunt themselves and find it. So for me, when I hear Easter egg, that's that's where it brings me to uh, on on sort of first thought. So there you go. Okay, well, uh, Derek, I want to say thanks a lot for joining us. As always, you want to just mention uh, where everyone can find you online. Uh, yep, you can reach me on Twitter at Amron underscore DM or find me on Facebook, Derek Myers. There you go. And, of course, you can reach us on Twitter at Yancey or at C. McBrien. Or you can always reach us on email, Chris or Yancey at popgoesyourworld.com. Yancey, I want to throw one last thing out there before we leave, okay, my friend? Don't want to, I don't want to change the direction of the show or anything like that, but I'd like to offer you a challenge. I think this would be interesting. What I'd like to do is I'm going to offer you a challenge of a movie, okay? And between now and next week, your goal, your mission, should you choose to accept it, young man, is watch this movie and next week let's come back and let's review this movie together and we're going to review it from two very very different perspectives obviously me as a Gen Xer having watched this movie many times and you watching it for the first time as a millennial are you ready to accept this challenge Yancey I accept the challenge with the uh, premise that you also will accept my occasional movie challenges okay, as well. I, I will tell you what. I will give you a movie right now, and by next week you have to watch this movie. We will review this movie together on the, the show next week. And next week then you can offer me the challenge to a movie, and we'll go back and forth. How's that sound? Okay. Yeah, fair enough. Deal. The movie that you need to watch before next week and that we will come back and review together is, ladies and gentlemen, Blazing Saddles. Yeah. <laughs> You've still not seen that, Nancy? He has not I know, seen it. I know, I know. He has not. It's on Netflix now, too. I need, I do need to watch it. He's only mentioned it, what, 15 times, Chris? It's it's on Netflix, so it's free. I'm not even asking you to go onto Amazon or, you know, even onto iTunes and pay to, heaven forbid, you should pay five bucks to rent a movie to do the show. Um, it's free. So go on Netflix between now and next week and watch Blazing Saddles and take some notes because next week we're doing a full review of Blazing Saddles from two different generation perspectives. That's going to be a good one. Until then, this is Chris McBride saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thank you for listening to the Pop Goes Your World podcast. Continue the conversation on Twitter at C. McBride or at Yancey Eaton. Please consider leaving a review for the podcast on iTunes, or wherever you download and listen to the show. 